Today we celebrate our national independence, and it's our day to stand tall and appreciative for who we are and what we are. So there will be cookouts and family gatherings, and of course, fireworks displays all across this great land. And we're honored to be Americans, aren't we? We live in a country that by every single standard has been more blessed, not perfect, not perfect by any stretch, but more blessed than any other country in the history of the world. Now, during the past 245 years, the USA has become the greatest economy, political machine, and a cultural power that the world has ever seen. The story is told of an old farmer who used to come into the nearby town once a month to do his shopping and take care of any business he had to look after in those days. Now, this man hated to spend money. And he always thought if you were spending on something that was kind of questionable, then it was unnecessary. So he would drive all around the downtown area of that small town looking for an empty parking space. Not just an empty space, but one with money and time left on the meter. He would continue to do that and make several laps until he saw one with time still left on it, and he would quickly pull in and then go about his chores. You know, there's an old saying that kind of goes with this man. And here's the saying. He was parking on somebody else's nickel. I want you to just think about that. And I'm going, to, I'm going to expand on that, but before I do, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for all your many blessings to us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a nation. We are grateful today for all you've done on our behalf and what you continue to do. And so, Lord, we look forward to what you have in store for us. And we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your peace. Lord, your leading. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. May that be evidenced even in this place this day and across the land. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Very quickly this morning, I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I'm going to ask you to kind of feast your attention on these 11 verses that I would like to read in your hearing. And if you'd like to read along or follow, then that'd be great. So here's what the Word of God says, and I'm going to come back and kind of illuminate those, hopefully. And Deuteronomy 8, picking up the reading at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build the houses and, uh, and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, when your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery... 
He led you through the vast, dreadful wilderness, that thirsty, waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He, that was the first hard rock cafe. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. I thought I'd say it before you did. Something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. In the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength or the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget, there's forget again three times, the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Parking on somebody else's nickel. Proverbs 14, 34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or a disgrace or a condemnation to any people. We search the language of the Bible. We find there's another word for righteous, and it's the word rightness. What many people fail to realize is that true rightness can only be found in the Lord our God. Friends, this nation has been lifted up by the Lord himself to be an example to the rest of the world. History will always confirm that a nation's true greatness is not based on its numbers, its military strength, or its political structure. Nor is a nation's intellectualism, scientific progress, or cultural advances which determine its true greatness. What determines a nation's greatness is its conduct, and whether that conduct is in accordance with the standards of God. Now, over in Psalm 33, verse 12, we read these words, and this says it best. This says it best. Blessed or blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. <clears throat> Now, really, beloved, it is no coincidence that the blessings that we have received came to us because we put God over this nation from the very first action and the very first permanent settling of the very first American citizens, even before they were American citizens, even though there are many still today in this day, <coughs> excuse me much, <coughs> In this day of the quote-unquote new, newfound uh, day of enlightenment, <laughs> people think we're in a new day of enlightenment, who will try to convince us otherwise. They will try to erase the Christian influence, doing a, quite a job of it. They will omit the impact of Christ on our nation. They will try to rewrite our history and methodically transform us into a Fabian society. 
Regardless of the misdirected antics of the hapless naysayers and doubters today, the United States really was founded as a nation to be established on the principles embedded in biblical Christianity. Winston Churchill said this, and I quote, he said it early on during the Second World War and then said it at the end of the war in December of 1945, and here he said, and I quote, if we open a quarrel between the past and the present, we shall find that we've lost the future, end quote. Cape Henry, Spiritual Roots of a Nation by Craig, uh, Craig uh, Von Busick. And I will read a few lines from that book. It was a warm, clear day uh, in April of uh, 1607. As an Anglican priest named Robert Hunt led a group of English colonists up a windswept dune to where they had erected a rough-hewn cross. The sound of the pounding surf contrasted with the high-pitched calls of the seagulls overhead as these people walked through the sands of what they called Cape Henry. Lifting his eyes toward heaven, Reverend Hunt led them in a providential prayer that would forever mark the future of the nation that would rise from these shores and would impact the destiny of other nations and peoples around the world. And he dedicated the new continent to the purpose of the one true God. On a monument erected to commemorate this event, placed some time later and subsequently replaced by yet another more permanent tablet of stone, were inscribed these words, quote, Act 1, Scene 1 of the unfolding drama that became the United States of America. Something not often explained, I was going to say never, but not often, if ever, explained in this nation is the British saw this missionary aspect of their endeavor as a way to extend to others the same gospel message that came to them many years prior. In the days of Roman conquest... The native Britons were a group of loosely organized inhabitants. The orderly effect of Roman law and later Christian religion had lifted the British people and made them a mighty nation indeed. Why, what injury can it be to people of any nation for Christians to come unto their ports, havens, or territories? wrote colonist William Strachey, when the law of nations, which is the law of God and man, doth privilege all men to do so. You see, the Virginia colonists were doing what others had done for them centuries before. On December 20, 1606, 105 settlers and 40 seamen set out from the River Thames in England. In three small wooden vessels, the Susan Constant, the Godspeed, and the Discovery, with Reverend Robert Hunt on board as the spiritual leader of the group. A difficult journey by all means and by every measure. In late April of 1607, they finally arrived on the coast of Virginia. They named the place Cape Henry after the son of King James, that was Henry, Prince of Wales. 
Though the ships they sailed on were very small, the Virginia Company leadership insisted that they carry one item with them from England for the purpose of giving glory to God in this endeavor. And it was a rough seven-foot oak cross. The colonists and sailors gathered around the cross, and they held the first formal prayer service in the new land, giving thanks to God for his mercy and grace in bringing them safely to their destination. Raising his hands to heaven, Robert Hunt claimed the land for country and king and consecrated the continent to the glory of God. This was the first official act by the British in the New World. Soon there were other firsts. The first Protestant church service. The first church building was erected. The first representative government in North America. And by the way, the Virginia Assembly is the third oldest continuous legislature in the world. In true covenantal language, Hunt declared, I quote, from these very shores, the gospel shall go forth to not only the new world, but also to the entire world. Fast forward 256 years in a proclamation for a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer on March the 30th, 1863. The, the emancipation president, President Abraham Lincoln, said, and I quote, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which pre preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of the redeeming and preserving grace. We're too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. End of quote. In the 1990 census in the United States, that's a cool 31 years ago, there were some thirds, about 39.3 million poor people in the U.S., either at or below the poverty line. And nearly 40% of all poor households owned or were buying their own homes. Nearly 60% had more than two rooms per person. Nearly 60% had air conditioning. 64% owned a car. 50% owned a microwave. 25% had an automatic dishwasher. And 91% had a color television. 
Do you know that over 2 billion people on planet Earth live on less than $1 a day? If your income is that total household income, <clears throat> or if you're single, just by yourself, your personal income is at the official U.S. poverty level, do you know you are among the top 10% of wage earners in the world? If you own a home or you're buying a home, you have a roof over your head, in other words, you're better off than 95% of the world. And by the way, you own one of the largest homes in the world, too. We have the highest percentage of educated people in the world. I like to say schooled because not much educating going on. We normally have the lowest or nearly the lowest unemployment level in the world. Our constitutional republic system of government has become the envy and model, regardless of what anybody else says, for many countries around the globe. There are in excess of 300,000 places of worship where anyone and everyone can freely worship. Entertainment and leisure industries, luxury automobiles, theaters, home movies of every description, music, sports, amusement parks, special vacation destinations, great medical and healthcare advances, a variety of foods, and seemingly lots of it. Amen? Many of the poor and undeveloped nations would love to eat the food that we throw away. Are you listening, my friends? We are a very, 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 very blessed nation. And we have come a long way from the Virginia colonists who were working their fingers to the bone to make something <laughs> out of nothing. I suppose I could say we should really be applauded for our wonderful, civilized, modern, highly advanced country. However, there's a problem. And it's the same issue that the Israelites of old face because there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that. So in this great chapter, Deuteronomy 8, Moses is warning his countrymen that when they go into the land flowing with milk and honey to not forget God. And how many are forgetting God today? You look at that verse 17 that I shared with you from Deuteronomy 8. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be our biggest problem today in this nation of ours. It's not that people are all atheists or God-haters. It's not that at all. It's just that they don't need God. It may be that few have the gall to come out and say it, but many of them think of and see themselves as self-made men and women. This is a cavalier attitude that was certainly a temptation for the Israelites, so God issued a warning to them through Moses. And so as we look at this this morning, the question of the hour for us is this. What is so wrong with believing that we are self-made men or women? 
Nothing. Uh, except, number one, it is untrue. Benjamin Franklin wrote an essay called The Ways to Wealth. In it, he said, I quote, Do not depend too much upon your industry and frugality and prudence, though excellent things, for they may all be blasted without the blessings of heaven. End quote. <laughs> so what's wrong with calling ourselves self-made man, self-made woman? Oh, nothing at all. Except, number one, it's untrue. And number two, it's ungrateful. And number three, it results in mischievous behavior or worse. And number four, it's the very reverse of what God wants and expects. And number five, it will eventually lead to humiliation and suffering, individually and as a nation. Now back to our establishment. In 1620, the first legal document was drafted for the new nation. It was called the Mayflower Compact, and let me read the first two paragraphs of it to you. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by the grace of God, having undertaken a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country. The advancement of the Christian faith. In 1628, another legal document was drawn up. It's the Charter of Massachusetts Bay. Let me quote just the first paragraph. Whereby our said people inhabitants there may be so religiously, peaceably, and civilly governed as their good life and orderly conversation may win and incite the natives of this country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind, and the Christian faith. I just have one glaring question. When you hear those words, do they sound like these men didn't care about the Lord our God? Over the years, legal document, after legal document, after legal document, Reference their absolute belief in Jesus as Savior and God as the head of this nation. So if you wouldn't mind, please, and I'm begging you, please do not insult my intelligence by telling me that our founding fathers did not desire a nation built upon the timeless truths of the word of the living God. Facts unmistakably prove that this nation of ours was meant to be under God, hey, 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 long before Abraham Lincoln ever uttered those words in a speech. Long before. By now, America seems to think that she is so self-sufficient. That's why she's falling apart from inside. What do we need? Do we need food? What do we need? Do we need shelter? What do we need? More medicine? What do we, we need more money to spend? Whatever it is, we've convinced ourselves that we can look after, supply, and fend for ourselves. Who needs God, America? We've largely taken God out of the equation. And we're plunging headlong into a dark, painful world of hurt. 
And if we as a nation body do not come to our senses fairly fast, all I can say is, hello, Israelites, here we come. Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. Even the psalmist, Psalm 33, verse 10, sends a dire and urgent message to the peoples of the world. That, that verse, Psalm 33:10 says, The Lord foils the plans of the nations, and he thwarts the purposes of the peoples. What saddens me the most is the fact that we have not only conveniently, conveniently forgotten that this nation was designed to reflect the Christian faith, but also now we've arrived at the point God help us, deliver us, where we actually dispute it altogether. And God, I contend, is getting ready to foil our plans and to thwart our purposes. Let's hear the words of these famous American patriots. Patrick Henry said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. James Madison, our fourth president, said this, We have staked the whole future of American civilization on our capacity to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. End of quote. Daniel Webster Brilliant mind. Daniel Webster said this, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering. But if we neglect its instruction and authority, no man can tell how soon a catastrophe may overcome us. Our 40th president, Ronald Reagan, once said this, without God... Democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Where we are and where we're headed. <clears throat> the year 1962. Without one shred of historical or legal precedent, the United States Supreme Court made it illegal for 39 million students to do what their families had done before them, pray in school. And I still contend, as long as there are exams, there'll be prayer. But anyway. Oh, God, make Paris the capital of Japan, please. I don't know if he answers that prayer or not, but... By the way, that was punishable by a fine and or jail time. 1963, reading the Bible in then public schools was made illegal, punishable by a fine and or jail time. 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States, in all of its infinite wisdom, legalized the putting to death of unborn babies. And to try to prevent it was punishable and is with a fine or imprisonment. 
1980, the Ten Commandments were outlawed from being displayed in government schools. This was punishable by a fine and or jail time. Listen to this write-up. Listen to this uh, reasoning. The reasoning the court gave for their decision is as follows, and as long as I'm standing here, I've got to say this, and I quote, If the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it would be to induce schoolchildren to read them. If they read them, they may meditate upon them and perhaps obey them. This is not a permissible objective. My friends, that's from your own, my own, our own United States Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. And on, and on, and on, and on it goes. America, continuing right up to this day. I heard another great speech yesterday that just said, you know, our biggest problem is not this or this or this or this or this and all the stuff that's going on. It's apathy. Edmund Burke said, all, all that it takes for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The fall of this mighty nation will shock and hurt and negatively affect the peoples of our land. For Listen, for generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. Someone recently quipped, at the rate our nation is decaying from moral decadence within, we will soon have to change our national bird from an eagle to a buzzard. God help us. There's no denying that almost everywhere you look today and everywhere you turn, <clears throat> excuse me, you see outright and belligerent disobedience to the laws and precepts of our God. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And somebody told me a story about something the other day that had to do with Christian people. And they said, can you believe it? And I said, I am so open to believe right now. I can believe anything. I don't doubt anything anymore. With every passing year, we see further decline. I only have one prayer. God, deliver us from this. Yeah, we, we still enjoy many freedoms. We still enjoy many liberties. <clears throat> but let me add this loving word of caution. If we are to be honest, it isn't we who did anything to earn them. Our forefathers earned these freedoms and liberties, and many, many, many brave souls sacrifice a lot, much, or maybe all, to defend and preserve them for these 245 years. They are the ones who put God in their hearts and instilled Him over this beloved nation of ours. And we have done it, and all we have done is to enjoy the freedoms, the rights, the liberties which they earned, preserved, and protected for us. And, just like our old farmer friend who used to look for nickels and parking meters, we find that we too have all this time been parking on somebody else's nickel. 
fellow Jesus followers, fellow Americans. I'm here today to sound the alarm and to deliver this message to you. America is on the very edge of receiving the absolute and total wrath of God. Say, well, I don't believe that. Have, Have you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? When that fury comes, you can call it what you want. You can call it shock and awe. It doesn't matter what you call it. It will not be just the non-believers who will find it insufferable. It will also be Christians because they have dropped the ball too and are going to pay the price for doing so. Our nation is made up of many people. And even though you cannot be responsible for what someone else does, you are responsible for what you do. And what you do influences others around you as well. <clears throat> Dan Puckett in the, uh, the Blessing of Freedom uh, wrote this, I quote, The key to continued freedom as a nation lies directly with the individual. It is not too late. The God of heaven, who was instrumental in the formation of this nation, stands ready to respond to the heartfelt cries of his people as they humble themselves and they own their own dependence on him. God is waiting for his people, the Christian believers, to rise up and commit themselves to his rule in their lives. End of quote. Christian believers to rise up and commit themselves to his role in their lives. This land we call America is on the brink of losing everything we treasure, including our freedoms. Our dear nation is ready to teeter and fall, and it will happen sooner than we realize, and it will land harder than we ever expected. Why? Because we've all but ushered God out of our society, telling him we do not need him, and we do not really want him. But, but we must keep those three scientists in mind, right? Yeah. Oh, what three scientists, you ask? Well... They're the three scientists who decided that God was not necessary any longer. We don't have, a, we don't have a, a need for him. Oh, so they had a little meeting and they chose one of the three to go tell God the news. So Mr. Science Wonder meets with God and he informs God, uh, we have no need for you anymore and we can do everything you can do, so we don't need you. So, God asked the man if they can make weather, and the scientist says, of course, yes, we can produce all kinds of weather. Oh. Then God asked them if they can make food. And the super smart scientist said, yes, yes, we developed this food on our own. We don't need all those old practices. Yeah, oh, yeah. Then God asked the science brain if he or they could actually make humans. And the scientist, undeterred, said, yes, of course. And he reached down to show God by picking up a handful of dirt. And then God responded with, wait, wait, that is my dirt. 
if you are going to do everything I do, you need to get your own dirt. The moral of that story is, even though we think we don't need God, everything we have is given to us by God. We just don't seem to embrace that truth often enough. People find that when everything else is taken away from them and they have no place else to turn and they find everything, they can find everything they need when they turn to God through Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches us that our enemies will rule over us one day, even if only temporarily. Might I prophesy before you this morning that it might be right around the corner? But, big but, be of good cheer. Because we have an ace in the hole. There is a way that we can get out of this trouble that we've placed ourselves in. But that way is, and I'm going to emphasize this, the only way out. And I fear today for those who will not take it. And that way, of course, is found in 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. It's kind of familiar to a lot of people. I hope it doesn't become too familiar to you so that you just slough it off. But here's what it says. If my people, this is God's word, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. Oh, bless you. And I will heal their land. Healing of this land is very much still possible. Bear in mind that God didn't say everyone had to do this in order for the nation to be healed. The only ones instructed to do this are his people and those that were called by his name, i.e. believers, Jesus followers, Christians. In other words, simply put, us what about you, my friend? Where are you? Without a doubt, we've been looking deeply at our nation today, but there's something else that mirrors, if I could keep your attention for another couple minutes, is something else that mirrors what we've been considering, and that is the church, the body of Christ in this world. I know that even as a 24-year-old local church, and we love faith community, amen? amen? We've been blessed over the years, and we've seen the Lord do wonderful things here in our midst. Our past has brought us to our present and our future, and where we go from here will be largely dependent on what we step out to do for the Lord from this day forward. Just like our country, our church will have obstacles and challenges to overcome. But we can thrive if we will take that same message given to our country and apply it to our church and, and to our individual lives as the sons and daughters of God. As a nation, as a church, as individual born-again believers, we can succeed, we can be blessed, we can know God's approval. Listen to this statement. But the most important thing we need to do is the hardest thing we can do. Humble our hearts before the Lord fully and totally. I wonder on this Independence Day, my friend, will you do that very thing as a clear profession of your trust in God and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ?
Will you do it? Will you do it today? Will you do it right here? Will you do it right now? Let's not stay parked on somebody else's nickel. Do it as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we quietly turn to you this morning and give you all praise and thanks and glory for the privilege that's ours to live in peace and to live in a land of prosperity. Help us to be willing, God. Help us to be willing to quietly commit to you and to give you the control of our lives. As individuals, oh, how we need to do this. As a church, oh, how it's needed. And certainly as a nation, how we need to turn to you in these perilous times. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for considering us even. And thank you that we are recipients of your great grace. We pray all that with a blessing over every individual and every family represented in this place today and upon this church. In Jesus' name, amen.